Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, if you will. And while you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you so much for another beautiful Sunday, Lord, and for the opportunity now to gather here and not only worship, but also to study the Word of God together. I'm thankful, Lord, for the message that you laid on my heart this week, and I pray that you would help us to learn from this and, and to just as we read this story in the Gospels, Lord, just to take something from it, Lord, to apply to our lives. I invite the Holy Spirit to come in and, and convict our hearts and show us what we need to, to glean from this today, Lord. Thank you for the many blessings that you've poured out upon us individually and as a church, Lord. We want to commit all of them back to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 23 is where we will read this morning. So we've been doing some standalone messages after we ended the, the story of Ruth a couple of weeks ago, and that was an awesome journey. If you uh, missed any of those and you want to go back and listen uh, to the sermons, all of them are recorded and they're put online. Uh, or if you have a podcast app, they're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all those cool things too. And, and so you can find all of those. Jennifer was asking me about one yesterday that I forgot to post, and I got it back up there from two weeks ago. And so you can catch those if you ever miss one. Um, so uh, next week, we're going to start a series through September that's going to take us all five weeks. And we're going to talk about uh, the values that God's people should be holding to if we're really going to live biblically and think biblically. Um, so anytime that you're looking at a culture like a church, our, our practices come from our beliefs and our beliefs come from our values. And so we're going to start at the ground level and just talk about starting next Sunday. What are the, the values that God has prescribed for us? What does he want us to hold to and to value as important parts of our Christian living? And then how can those influence our beliefs and how can those beliefs influence then our practices? And so I'm excited about that. And, and so I hope that you're here for all of those. Um, starting on uh, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, we're going to start a series, uh, really just a, a discussion series every Wednesday night for our adult Bible study. And so I'm compiling a list of some of the most curious topics or challenging questions that people might have about the faith uh, or just things that people may want to know about. And so we did a couple of uh, discussions a few weeks ago about heaven and what it's like to live in heaven. We talked about demons and we talked about, um, you know, just different things like that. And so we're going to put a list together of some of those hard topics or, or tricky topics or curious topics and really talk about those and get into some discussion on Wednesdays at, on uh, Wednesday nights at 630 starting next week. And so if you have any ideas or suggestions or questions, um, maybe that you have always wanted answered through the Bi about the Bible, then just uh, slip me a note or send me a text message and let me know, and I'll just see about adding that to the list. And hopefully that'll get us through uh, the rest of this year. And so Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, we're going to read this story about an encounter that Jesus had with a rich man, a young man who had a lot of possessions. And we'll talk about this encounter and this experience this man had with Jesus when it came to his, uh, this moment of decision for him. Would he be willing uh, to give up everything he had to follow Jesus? Or were there things in the way that were idols and gods that kept him from really being fully committed as a follower of Christ? And so let's read Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, 
Do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Maybe you're familiar with this story. Maybe you've given it some thoughts sometimes. But what I have found to be true when you read about it or talk about it is that there are a lot of misconceptions about what Jesus is actually saying. A lot of people try to build some teachings on, on his, saying, his, 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 uh, his speech here, his response to this man, that really aren't true to what he's actually thinking or feeling or, or saying to this guy. And so let's go through this story real quick. I want to point out some really important um, things, some important observations here in this story. In verse 17, it tells us that this man was basically waiting outside of the door for Jesus to come out. And so Jesus is here, he's doing his work, and, and there's a, a young man here, and the Bible says that he was, he was rich. Uh, we know the story is called the rich young ruler, and so that implies to us that he was a very wealthy man. He was a young person, and he had a lot of possessions, a lot of wealth. He might have been a very prominent, important person in the community, but for whatever reason, he was drawn to Jesus, as many of us have been in our lives, right? And so he was so drawn to him, maybe because he had this spiritual sense that something is missing in my life and maybe I need to find out more about Christ. Or, or maybe in his mind he decided, you know what, I have followed all these other commands and I've really tried to explore religion and I think I'm following God, but here's one more level, one more piece to the puzzle. Maybe I need this piece also, right? That's, that's pretty common even in our world today. And so for whatever reason, he was drawn to Jesus. And so you see this sense of urgency in his approach. In verse 17, it says that when he was gone forth, there came one running and kneeled to him. And so he shows reverence to Christ. And he, he kneels at his feet and he says to him, Good master, what do I need to do so that I can inherit eternal life? And I don't know if you realize this, but there's already a flaw in even just his question there. Did you catch that? It's one small little word. Can you guess what word it is? Somebody say it out loud. Come on, we can talk in church. It's the word do, right? He says, what do I have to do so that I can inherit eternal life? Have you ever met someone like that? Or maybe you've had a conversation with someone like that. Or maybe, if we're honest, you have had that thought in your mind before. That what things do I need to do in order to have eternal life or be saved or be good in God's eyes, right? And the reality is that the Bible teaches that there's nothing you or I or anyone can ever do to be good in God's eyes. You can follow every single command in Scripture. You can claim to, but you'd probably be lying if you say you can. You can claim to follow every command in Scripture, and it's still not enough, right? You can't do enough to earn God's love and earn God's favor. Because we believe in grace, right? And, and that the favor of God, the approval of God, is only a gift of grace. And this man, he didn't quite get that. And later in his conversation, we'll see a little more of his mind and his thinking there about his own goodness, his own stature. Jesus, though, 
And because he's compassionate and tender, and he's very careful with his words, and he doesn't just call him out and say, what's wrong with you, man? You can't do anything to inherit. He doesn't make him feel dumb, right? I mean, we, we sometimes do that to people or even to ourselves, but Jesus never does that. And so he leads him through this process to bring about some more truth in what he's asking. He says to him, why are you calling me good? He says, there's no one good. Only God the Father is good. So Jesus is not denying his own divinity here. He's not talking about the fact that he's not somehow equal with God. We know that he is. I think the point he's trying to make is that this, this guy, he, he's sitting here calling Jesus good, but in his mind, he's already thinking that he's good, right? And so Jesus wants to lay this foundation. There is nobody good, right? Later in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul is going to reiterate that. He says, there are none righteous, not a single one, none that seek after God, right? This man may have been seeking after God, but he wasn't seeking for the right reasons. He was wanting to add one more token to his goodness, if you really think about it. Jesus says, there is no one good. And in fact, I think behind that, what he was subtly saying to this man was, you aren't even good. As good as you think you are, as much you, you, you think you have it all together and you're doing all the right things, you still aren't good enough to earn God's favor. You'll never be good enough for God in, on your own efforts, but only through Jesus. And so he says in verse 19, uh, well, don't you know the commandments? I think Jesus already knows what his answer is going to be. But he asks anyway, he says, you know the commandments, you aren't supposed to commit adultery or, or don't kill, don't steal, and, and so on and so forth, right? And, and we spent time a couple of months ago examining those commandments, and we talked about the fact that none of us have ever been capable of, of carefully following, perfectly following every single one of those commandments, right? It's not possible. We can try really, really hard, right? We talked about that story of the, the journalist, I forget his name, but he, he went through the year of living biblically, you know, and he tried to, to write about his experience. He tried to live according to the Jewish law every single moment of every day for a year, and he still made lots of mistakes, right? So it's funny what this man says in response to Jesus pointing out the commandments. He says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then in verse 20, he says, he answered and said to him, Master, I've done all those things from my youth. I can imagine in Jesus' mind, he's saying, yeah, right. Like rolling his eyes a little bit, you know, because we probably would be standing there saying, who does this guy think he is? I mean, really, he's not broken any commandments since he was a child. Now, I have a child and he breaks commandments all the time. Right, you know that whole honor your father and mother thing? That one is just whew, out the window in my house sometimes. So from his youth, he says, I've been perfect. You know, I've, I've, I've perfectly followed God's law. I'm good. Just tell me what, what's the one last thing I need in order to really get eternal life? Like, what do I need to do in order to get that? And Jesus says, okay, so you claim that you've never broken any of these commandments, right? But he says, here's one that I think I can catch you on. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Now, do you think that Jesus was legitimately telling the man that's what is required of a person if they want to inherit eternal life? No. He wasn't giving this teaching that if a person wants to be saved or get into heaven, they have to go sell all their stuff and give it to the poor. Right? You don't, there is no spiritual principle that, that God loves you more if you give all your money to the poor. 
right? Um, or that God's going to pour all these blessings upon you if you give your money to the poor. Because the principle, I think, that really we find in life is that when you give all your money away, you just end up with no money, right? And that's just how life works, you know? That's what happens when we go to Walmart, give all of our money away. We end up with nothing left. So he wasn't teaching the man, now here's what I want you to do to inherit eternal life. He was issuing this challenge. The challenge was, was the man willing to do anything that God called him to do in order to be a true follower of Jesus? Was he willing to part with what he held dearly or was that thing in his life an idol and a God to him? And I think that the way we see him leaving that conversation shows us that it possibly was a big idol in his life. He says, go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. But in verse 22, it says that the man was sad at what Jesus said, and he went away grieving because he had a lot of stuff. He went away grieving. Now, why would he walk away sad and grieving? Because he didn't want to give away his stuff, right? I mean, maybe he had worked hard for that, or maybe he just inherited it from his his, his father or something. I mean, it was de very dear to him, and he loved his possessions, right? And so what that showed was that this man was maybe holding his possessions and his wealth, which were really a gift from God, he was holding them in esteem like they were an idol in his life. And you and I, we may not bow down to physical idols. You know, I'm not going to go to your house, I hope, and find a statue in your corner that you bow down to every night. We might have to have a talk about that if you're doing that. But sometimes we do have idols in our lives, don't we? we can, you can already think about in your own mind. I don't have to call it out for you. You can already think about what that idol might be. And it really comes down to this. Anything that comes up in your life that you esteem as highly important so that it keeps you away from God right? It, it takes the place of worship in your life, where you are giving more devotion and more love and more affection and more interest in that thing more than God. It can be food. It can be money. It can be power. It can be sports. It can be anything. It can be entertainment. It can be anything, right? And we all can be guilty of holding those idols in our lives. But what this story really comes down to is what I've said here on this screen. It's the story of the rich young ruler and what it uh, what it means for our giving. So this isn't really a message about giving all of our money. It's about, it's a message about a, a willing heart, right? Are we willing to surrender the things that God might call us to surrender for the sake of the kingdom? Because those things might be keeping us from following him and obeying him more closely. So Jesus is not saying here that if a person gives up all of his stuff to go and feed the poor, then he can be saved. He's, he's challenging the man's claim that he has done everything that he could do to honor and follow God. Because in fact, he's not willing to do everything he can do to honor and follow God. He's testing this rich young ruler to see if he was willing to not only follow the commandments, but give up the things that you're holding as an idol. Instead, the man chose not to. We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know the man's name. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how he chose to process this conversation. Maybe he went home and thought about it and felt really convicted, and maybe he did it. Maybe he went through with it all, and maybe he really committed himself to Christ. Or maybe he went away sad and grieving and walked away from following Jesus forever because he held on so tightly 
to those idols in his life. His money was his God. And so as I read the story here, I think about what is the challenge for us today? What's the challenge for us as modern Christians living in the year 2018, all these years later? How can Jesus still be speaking to us through this story today? And I think what it begins with is that God is calling us to a life of willingness, willing obedience, and cheerful service to him. Along with that, if you think about it in the context of his wealth and, and you apply that context to our lives, I think God calls us to a life of generosity, right? To, to, to see that the wealth that he provides to us is a gift, right? It's a gift. It's not ours to just accumulate and hoard away and do whatever we want to, although God gives us the freedom to do that, that the wealth and the possessions that he gives to us, just like this man in the story, they're gifts from God. Right? And I mean, you might be sitting there saying, well, I don't have very many gifts because if you see my bank account lately, we may not feel like we have a whole lot of stuff, right? But the stuff that we have is a gift from God, and God calls us to have a generous and willing spirit with it. With our wealth, our possessions, he, he commands us to be obedient stewards, right? Caretakers of the gifts that he gives us, to be willing to give when called upon right so so giving our money to care for the for example giving our money to care for the poor is not a requirement for salvation right jesus doesn't say if you do this you'll be saved or you can't be saved if you don't do this right it's that, that's not what he's teaching there it's not any part of of the process of entering into the kingdom of god that's not what he's trying to proclaim or, or set as a theology here now there are there are a lot of preachers in the world today, especially I think in America, um, who to try to teach that, right? Like you can't be a true believer if you don't give all your money, right? You can't truly be saved, or, or if you are truly saved, you should be willing to give all your money to the work of the Lord, right? Have you ever heard of preachers like that? Maybe as you're flipping through the channels on TV? There was a, a preacher about, a, I guess, about a year ago or less. I won't give you his name. You can Google it later. Um, who was trying to convince all of his followers to give him all their money because God told him that he needed to buy a brand new, is it $6 million jet, right, or something like that? Like, he needed another plane because his other one was too old and not big enough. And so he needed a new one so he could travel across the world and preach the gospel. And there were a lot of people buying into this. Like, we have to give this guy our money because God has called him to buy a plane to travel around the world, right? That's not biblical. Don't ever let anybody convince you that if, if you don't give them your money that, that you're not right with God, right? When I was in college, um, because we were Bible college nerds and we used to do this on our lunch breaks, we would flip through the channel, the preaching channels on TV, and I came across this one that I was fascinated with. Not because I agreed with any of his theology, but because he wore these really ugly suits, like from the 70s, you know? Any of you guys still have those in your closets? No? I mean, they were, I don't even, he might have gotten them from his, I don't even know where. He got them from a flea market or a Goodwill or something, but... They were the most atrocious looking clothes ever, but he was so proud to wear those things, right? And he had all this fancy jewelry and his necklaces, and this was an older white guy, and it was just, he looked cool, right? And so I would listen to him while I was eating my ramen noodles in, in college, because that's all you can afford, right? Um, and so he, he started this little campaign that if you sow your seeds into my ministry, God's going to pour out a blessing upon you. So send $25.99 and send me a check, and I'll send you this blessed handkerchief. 
and you can use it for your whole life and it's anointed and God will bless you and you can wave it everywhere and blessings will appear from heaven, right? And this was just funny to us. My friend and I would sit here and watch it and we'd crack jokes and things like that. Well, one day he had a special deal where for a, a limited time only, you could just uh, send in a prayer card and he'd send you a free uh, anointed pen right and the advertisements on this little tv program said that people were using this anointed pen to basically write checks for their blessings you know so you could just fill in your checkbook and even if you didn't have any money and the money would just appear you know and that was the promise and so i thought well i got to get myself one of those and so i filled out a prayer card online and i waited anxiously for weeks for my anointed pen to show up right and i thought we'll just see if this guy is the real deal knowing that he probably wasn't. I waited and I was so disappointed because it never came. I would check my mailbox. I still have this really bad habit of, I, I just love to get mail. You know, my wife makes fun of me all the time for it, but it started back then. So anyway, it finally arrived, this package, this pen I've been waiting for. And so I get back to my dorm room and I rip it open and it was broken. I think a mail truck ran over it or something. <laughs> So I had no blessings for the whole year because I couldn't write my checks, you know? So I'm still eating ramen noodles every day. Uh, so my blessings were broken, right? And so that just go to show me, it doesn't matter how much money you give to these people, they can't promise you the blessings from God, right? And it's not a teaching from scripture. Jesus never says, sow your money into this ministry and God will bless you. Because like I said, the, the real principle is that when you give all your money away, you just end up with no money right? And that's okay. It's more blessed to give than to receive is what the Bible does tell us, right? So the question is not um, about you giving your money because you want to receive a blessing. The challenge is, are you willing to give up what God may be calling you to give up, right? Are you willing to give of your, uh, of your blessings to help other people? Not because you want to help a guy buy a new jumbo jet, but because you want to feed the poor and help the widows and the orphans as the scriptures teach, right? Um, and so that's what being a part of the community of faith is about, is that we are willing to give up our resources to be blessings to the world around us, even if we don't have a lot of stuff, right? It's about being willing. So this story, I think, in Mark chapter 10 uh, reminds me and connects, I think it connects a little bit to another story later in Mark chapter 12. And so if you'll turn a few pages over, in Mark 12, we see Jesus making some observations about some people who are coming into the temple and giving their money into the treasury, which was basically their offering box. And that money was supposed to go to the maintenance and the upkeep of this really beautiful, magnificent building and, and things like that. It was supposed to be good for, uh, to keep up with the worship and, and the costs associated. And so people would come in and they would give their tithe. That was the Jewish law and their custom back then. But I want to read you what it says here, and starting in verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. It says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living." All of her living. So how does this connect to what we saw in Mark chapter 10? It's about willingness, right? 
Jesus is noticing these wealthy Jewish people. They're coming into the temple and they're dropping big lumps of change into the treasury box and they're, they're doing their duty, right? Just an, enough, uh, only what's required of them, right? Which to them is, is a lot because they make a lot of money. And he says that they're coming in, they're dropping in large sums of money, but this old widowed woman, this poor woman, literally poor woman, impoverished woman, walks in and he watches her drop in two tiny little coins, two mites, he says. And, and if you don't know the culture of the monetary system, what that basically was, was it took seven mites to make a full coin. So she dropped in two-sevenths of a coin, right? That, that wasn't a whole lot of money. That'd be equivalent to like 23 cents out of a dollar. All right. And so she drops in her money there and she walks out and he calls his disciples and he says, look at this woman who came in and he says, all these people, they've come in and they've, they've dropped in their money out of their abundance. They, they, they're dropping in money. It's not even hurting them. Right. It doesn't affect their 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 bank accounts at all. But this woman and she comes in and she she drops in all that she has, everything that she has, she's willing to give to the Lord. Now, you can take this story a couple of different ways. The first thing is that we should look at that woman with high esteem, that, that we should want to have the same heart and attitude that she has, that, that we are willing to give because we love the work of the Lord, right? Whatever that may mean and whatever context that might mean. But here's another way that I've, I've heard it explained, and this is kind of where, uh, what I'd like to share with you today, that I think that if, if the story could have continued, Jesus would have criticized those other people who were coming in and, and giving all this money while they watched this old poor woman put in all that she had. I think it would be safe to say that that should have never happened. That it, it should have never happened that, that a woman who has nothing is giving all that she has away when they should have been taking care of her, right? Because out of all the abundance that they had, out of all the wealth they had. And the Bible says later in the book of James, he says true and undefiled religion means taking care of orphans and widows. That's found in the Psalms. It's all throughout scripture. It's in their law that they take care of each other and they take care of widows and orphans and people who are poor. And that should have never happened. They should have been willing to give out of their abundance to help this poor woman who had nothing left instead of expecting her to give all that she had into the box. That's how the story, uh, I think, the rest of the story could go. And so I think about people and, and the, the distribution of wealth in the world today. And some people have more than others, and that's just the fact of life, right? And it's not to say that everyone should share what they have, and it should be legally mandated, and you, if you have more money, you should give it to this person. It's not about Robin, not like Robin Hood, right? I mean, it's not like that. But I think it's about having a willing heart, that when we see people in need, and God has blessed us with the ability to help someone, then we should be willing to help someone. That doesn't mean that we'll always have the ability, right? In fact, one day we might be on the other end of that, might not have any abilities, and we might need to rely on someone else for help. And he goes back and forth. It's about having that willing spirit and saying, I am willing to give out of my abundance to bless someone else. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, verses 7 through 8, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So what kind of giver does it say that God loves? A cheerful giver. This is something interesting that I found this week. That word cheerful in the Greek, it's the Greek word hilaros. Hilaros. Okay? It's the word from which we get our English word hilarious. All right? So think about it in that term. God loves a hilarious giver. All right? Now, when we think of the word hilarious, or we think of the idea of something that's hilarious, we think of something that's really, really funny, right? That makes us laugh. Okay? But the original intent of that word or that idea was just something that is joyous, something that brings you happiness and joy is, so, is something hilarious. Hilaros. It brings you joy and it brings you happiness, like a funny movie or a good joke, right? But God says, that's the kind of giver that I want. Someone who is willing and someone who takes joy and finds happiness in being a blessing to other people. Someone who finds joy in letting God use them to meet other people's needs. Not because it's mandated that it, you can't be a true Christian if you don't do this, but because you get an opportunity to do that. Here's the thing that I heard a pastor say once. He said that he tells his church members, you don't have to put money in the offering plate. You don't have to go down and help feed the poor. You don't have to help your neighbor who's struggling financially. You don't have to do any of that. God doesn't say, if you're going to follow me, you have to do this or else I can't love you. You don't have to do anything, but you get to right? You get the opportunity to let God use you and work through what you have to bless other people. Whether that is helping your neighbor or helping the orphans and the widows or helping poor people or, or putting your money in the offering plate or giving to the work of missions all across the world or whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you, whatever God has laid before you, we should be willing and find joy in that because we get the opportunity to partner with God in what he wants to do in other people's lives. The good thing is that God cares about our neighbors, and it's good for us because we are also someone's neighbor. And God may want to care for us one day through one of our neighbors. God loves a cheerful giver. As I look back at that story in Mark 10, I don't see that young man walking away very cheerfully. I see him walking away grieving and sad. And how many people find it as an obligation or a duty? They do it grudgingly, begrudgingly, you know, like, I, I guess I'll, I'll give and I'll help this person or I'll do this or I'll give to my church or whatever it is. And yet God says, do it cheerfully, do it willingly, or just don't do it at all. Amen? So my challenge for us this week is to look for opportunities that God may put before you that where he can use you to be a blessing to someone else. How may God want to work through your abundance, your possessions, to give to someone else who's in need? Look for opportunities like that. It comes down to being willing, that we have a willing and cheerful spirit, and we want to be used by God. Amen? Let's stand. I'll sing one last song. It's on page 437. Wherever he leads, I'll go.